Well, hello, Parallel Family. Welcome to Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. That's a lot of fathers. We're so glad that you're joining us for this special occasion. And this Father's Day, we're going to do something just a little bit different. What we've done this Father's Day, we've enlisted all of our campus pastor fathers to join us today. And we're going to have a discussion just about what it means to be a father. What should fathers be looking out for? And hopefully, more than anything today, we hope that this is an encouraging conversation for fathers out there. We hope this is a supportive conversation. And before we go any further, I just want to introduce our panel today. Right next to me, we have Pastor Renee from our Tabor campus. We also have Pastor Mike from our Lloydminster campus. We have Pastor Brian from our Claire's Home campus. Pastor Ralph, of course, from our Lethbridge campus. And also Pastor Joel from our Okotoks campus. And today we've asked each one of these pastors to share different aspects and various views on what fathering means to them. And hopefully through these conversations, again, we just want to encourage fathers. We don't, it doesn't mean that we have it all together. We don't have all the answers. In fact, more often or not, we make mistakes as fathers. But today we're going to gain some ground and just see how we can push this next generation a little bit more forward. Starting off the discussion today, Pastor Renee, I've had the opportunity to witness you and your family. You're also a teacher, you're a pastor of our Tabor campus, and you are also, um, how do I say it? When I watch you with your kids, it's like you're a teacher all the time. And I just want to ask, what is it about your life that makes fatherhood such an important aspect? I think it's just knowing that someone's got your back. Growing up, I knew my dad had my back, and I want to do the same for my kids. I want them to be strong. I want them to be resilient and learn how to handle tough situations. But I also want them to know that I got their back, and I know all us fathers, like we want our, our kids to feel like they have someone there to protect them. And I know like God has our back too, and that's something I've learned over the years. One of the stories I've shared in Tabor, and I want to quickly share here is um, my dad really had my back growing up. And there was a time where I was working hard through university. I was working um, in a shop, um, doing some mechanicing, and I wasn't really going to church a whole lot that time just because I was in that university phase. And my dad invited me to a Sunday night service, and I went after work all dirty and greasy and had my old greasy John Deere hat on. And I came in towards the end of worship and sat down, and there's a guy behind us, and he said, you need to take off your hat. And I kind of just ignored him. He's like, need to take off your hat. And I just ignored him again. And he actually flicked my hat off my head and it fell into my lap. And I'm like, oh, at the time I was really annoyed. And I actually got up and I, I walked out and I was thinking, God, if this is church, if this is the people that are here, like, I don't want to be part of this. And so I went home and I sat down on the couch. I was watching Sunday night football and I heard the door open and the screen door kind of slam and I thought oh it's my dad and he's being mad at me and he came down the stairs and he picked me up off the couch and gave me a hug and he's like that guy had no right to do that I had your back son and they actually got into it a little bit in the parking lot they didn't get in a fight but I kind of imagine my dad kind of <laughs> kicking some butt there but he, he did that for me and it was it stuck with me forever and I want to be the same kind of example for my kids. And as an educator, I've had it too. Like for those fathers out there, you know, you want to protect your kids, but there's people in this room who aren't fathers and you're still put in a place where you can protect our youth. As an educator, as a teacher, um, one story that stands out, we were out on a trip and this is before I had kids. And we were uh, just in a park and some stranger approached my class and was kind of confrontational. 
and my class just kind of stood behind me and I, I took the brunt of that conversation that whatever it was, I can't really remember the specifics, but I took that for my kids in my class and like, I'm going to protect you guys. Like you're my kids. And at our school, we say that to our teachers, like the kids that attend here, they're our kids. Let's protect them. Let's love them. And let's show them God's love as well. And I think the, the greatest example of um, a father having his son's back is like Jesus, all he went through, and he said it many times, he's like, he could have called on his father to protect him. And Matthew 26, 53, it says, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. And I think that's the greatest mic drop ever. Like Jesus said to all these people like, hey, my father has got my back. He could come down at any time and take care of this for me. But even the, the father's love for Jesus said, hey, he knew Jesus had to go through some of these things himself and show uh, who he was and ex show his love and grace for us through what he went through on the cross. So fathers, protect your kids, love your kids. Um, even if they're not your kids, be looking out for them because this next generation is so special. They have so much to offer. And it's our duty as fathers to look out for not only our own kids, but the next generation in the church. I love that. Uh, my wife and I, like we've done youth ministry for over 15 years, and it's just taking advantage of those opportunities and the conversations with that next generation. So crucial. So Keith, thank you so much, Pastor Renee. Pastor Mike, I've loved spending time with you and your family and your kids. Your kids are loving, they're creative, they're intentional. And I just want to ask for, for you as a dad, what kind of intentionality from you as a father plays a role in that kind of development? Well, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to answer your question with a question for the panel. Mm. Okay. Uh, how many of you guys look like your dad? Have you ever heard that before? Any of you guys? Yeah? Yeah. So I, you got his ears. That's a weird thing to get. <laughs> I, I, I'm like a carbon copy of my dad. You look at pictures of my dad from the age that I'm at now and like kind of all through 20s and 30s. And depending on the length of the hair, we are a carbon copy. And so I've heard that my whole life. And now I'm on the other side of it where I am a dad and, and my two sons look very much like me. We have these strong genetics. And uh, so there's that aspect of, Man, I'm a lot like my dad physically, and my kids are a lot like me physically, but there's a lot of traits and characteristics and habits that have also been passed down through the generations. And there's really good things about that, but there's also things that are painful about mm. that. And there's, uh, I'm a huge music guy, and so there's a couple of songs that really just kind of hit me right in my father's heart talking about that relationship, one by Ben Folds, where he's experiencing the birth of his son and then imagining having uh, a meal with him 20 years later, sharing a beer and, and having a hamburger or whatever. And he says, as he's talking to his baby, he says, you're so much like me, I'm sorry. And there's this like pain of like, oh man, there's good things that I'm going to pass on to you, but I know that there are things that I'm going to pass on to you that are not going to be awesome and you're gonna you're gonna have pain because of the things that i pass on to you like being a vancouver canucks fan wow this was really serious until then <laughs> yes absolutely i have passed pick on. on that horrible thing to my son yes and we are sad about it but better than being a calgary fan anyway um <laughs> the the thing that i notice is that 
although there are many amazing things that I've been able to share with my kids and many things that they've learned from me and, and, and kind of is influencing them, there are still those things where I've, I've failed. And the hard part, I think, for us as dads and for me at times can be that we focus on that and we can get kind of caught up in that grief or that regret or that shame of being like in those moments when we see our bad personality traits come through in our kids whether it's a stubbornness or whether it's a something else um, it's kind of a gut shot to us because we know that that's there because we put it there and so my my heart and the thing that I'm trying to learn the thing that I think God is trying to teach me is to not live in that regret and that shame not to say that we don't try and do things better but to not stay there stay stuck and stay sad and regretful about it and how do we do that the thing that that i've been thinking about is is replacing that shame and that guilt with with affirmative talk the way that god spoke over jesus at his baptism in matthew chapter 3 this is my son whom i in whom i am well pleased right and so there's two levels to that there's a level where we as fathers need to hear that from god and and his love and his care for us then that then that allows us as we believe and we receive that to pass that on to our kids to focus on the good things that we see in them not ignore the bad things but to really affirm those things and and build them up as opposed to being just stuck in that discouragement all the time and like oh man you only got my bad stuff so that's kind of some of the things that I'm learning and trying to figure out. I don't know if I answered your question at all. No, you definitely did. And I think there's something powerful about what you said, because I heard somebody say once, like the four words that every boy needs to hear from his father is, I am proud of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. proud of you. And there's a significance and like a reliance on that kind of aff- affirmation coming from our fathers that gives purpose to everything that we feel like we're on the right track, that we're doing the right thing. So yeah. your answer was absolutely fantastic. No. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Pastor Ryan, I think if there's anybody that could walk into a room of any generation and be able to build up enthusiasm, it would be you. Whether it's a room full of kids, like you could match their energy level, whether it's your puppies, too. Your puppies, <laughs> <laughs> puppies too. Um, even as a pastor, fellow and friend, you have the ability to see great things in people and say it and call it out. And where did this come from and how does this assist you with fathering? In both the physical and the spiritual. I think uh, I like this verse in Acts 9, 26, 27, because the Apostle Paul, okay, we all, we read his all kinds of writings from the Apostle Paul, but there's a point when the Apostle Paul was an outsider with the other disciples, right? And it says this, it says, when he arrived in Jerusalem, so this is after he took his time in trying to discover who he was as, a, as an apostle, discover who he was as a, as a minister, and, and he decides to come to Jerusalem. And at this point, it's like not believing that he really was a disciple. However, Barnabas, this, this comment, however, Barnabas, and I love Barnabas, the heart of Barnabas, it says, took him and brought him to the apostles, described to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus, how he had spoken to him, how at Damascus Saul had preached openly and spoken confidently. So one, Barnabas was a student of Saul. What I mean by that is he actually watched. So who are you taking the time to watch and discover who they really are? 
Because I, I find all too often, it's like, you know what, we look at the outward. It says man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Are we taking the time to get to know people and discover their heart? So I had, I, I'm fighting as a father to discover my own kid's heart and constantly see the potential in the future for them. But I'm also that way when it comes to my, my staff, my friends, my neighbors, those people I run into in the grocery store. It's like, I'm like, God, you have a purpose for them. And if you fight to find that purpose in people instead of seeing their misses, we all have misses, right? Sin is just missing the mark. We all have misses. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So instead of expecting people to be perfect, it's like, okay, how can I look for something in them? And the thing that I liked about Barnabas, there's another story. Barnabas was a defender. You talked about standing in the gap and being a defender. Barnabas was a defender. And the next time, um, he was a defender of John Mark to the Apostle Paul. Paul. The Apostle Paul felt like John Mark abandoned him. And, and all he could remember was that moment that he abandoned him. And, and Barnabas and him, like, they, they got into it, you know, like your dad with that guy in the parking lot. They got into it, and it actually caused them to separate. But Barnabas was willing to stand for John Mark, and then he went and he walked with John Mark into the ministry. So who are you walking with? Are you walking with your kids? Are you, if you don't have somebody walking beside you, you're missing your opportunity. So walk with somebody today. And, you know, Pastor Kelly did that for me. You guys do that for me. So thanks. So good. That's come alongside in a nutshell right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pastor Ralph, over the last 12 years, my wife and I have watched. You've come alongside families. You've, you've married people. You've had, watched them have kids. You've come along families and losing loved ones and doing, you know, um, memorials with them and walking people through that process. We've seen you and, and your wife in your own family and, and go the distance to come alongside your children. I'm just, I'm enamored by your dedication to it and you're a father and now you're a grandfather. How has your perspective of fathering changed through these different seasons of life? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if you guys know my history, but I, my dad wasn't in my home, mm. you know? And uh, so as a kid growing up, um, and that was not normal in the 60s. Right, most of the kids in my school had their dads in their house with them, and and that was just a norm at that time. And then I, I'd like to just speak to the people today because families look a lot different today. That's right. Right, there's a lot of absenteeism and a lot of um, you know families that have you know multiple um, you know they're blended, right? And so we're speaking to that congregation and that thing. That's the fact of today. Uh, I looked at some recent statistics, and up to seven percent of kids are in a home with no dad or actually up to 11%. And then of that 7% are on with their grandparents only. So it's not, it skips a generation sometimes, right? And many, many times I, I'll sit with people um, that have had terrible struggles in their life, either with addictions or, or they're, they're part of the statistics of uh, what it means to not have a dad in the house. And, and many of them will say, you know, if it wouldn't have been for my grandfather, if it wouldn't have been for, you know, that person in my life, where would I be? And I think that's my story. Um, I, I watched dads. I, I took that initiative to not be one of the stats, you know, in that vacancy. So if, if you're a young man here today or a young child here today, girl or boy, um, don't let that absenteeism in your home uh, give you the excuse to just pull back. You know, reach out to somebody, um, you know, come alongside, like Brian said, and, 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 and invest your time in asking them those questions because that's what I did. I was a sponge for really good dads. 
Like I saw a good dad and I was like, man, I'm going to learn from that guy. And, and I had that same vision. So as a dad now and a, and a you know, dad, Sydney, I've been married up to 40, 42 years. Like, and that's, that's, we shouldn't, we should, that shouldn't have been a stat, but I am so grateful for having that opportunity to, to have kids and now grandkids, right? That I can invest in and see the future. Um, I didn't, I didn't know my grandfather, but um, um, I got his Bible here. I, I think um, we're not just speaking to um, the generation here, but generations on. So maybe you're here today and, and uh, nobody in your family had faith. You don't know nothing. You're the first generation to this. I'll bet there's somebody in your past that prayed and said, oh God, would you watch for my future generations? You know, we got we to believe that God had a purpose and plan for us right from the beginning. But um, so I'm just going to share a passage. First, I'll share it on my phone because this is really cool. But I like this version. It's a 100-year-old Bible. He got, he's quite a keener. He, he, might, he had perfect attendance in Sunday school. <laughs> so that's, that's what I know of him for sure. But it says Psalm 92, 14, they still bear fruit in their old age. They still stay fresh and green. So as a dad, like um, we, we've got to continue to, to contribute no matter what age we're at or what stage we're at. Look at that place of what you've got something to give somebody honor up, honor down, honor all around. Look for people below you, above you to, to get these details. But I want to just this last scripture. here. I like this version from this hundred year old Bible on Psalm 92, 14, because it fits me really good. It says, they shall still bring forth fruit in their old age and they shall be fat <laughs> and flourishing. <laughs> so it's right in the Bible. It's okay if you're not the hundred percent dad that you want to be or for that, but you're still flourishing. You're still adding value to somebody out there and continue to do that because we have such a potential in that next generation that anybody who's in that role, whether you even have children, you know, give in to those others. They'll come alongside like we've been saying. I think that's a really great theme for that. That's so good. We're so thankful for, for you and what you've, yeah, what you've continued to do in parallel, like alone. Um, Pastor Joel, I think this is one of the rare times that I've seen you without one of your children hanging off you <laughs> or in your arms, which just speaks to the testament of your, of your fatherhood. And in that, um, I'm curious what aspects of fatherhood are important to you? Well, I, I think just being the youngest dad in the room here today, fatherhood is, is that much more crucial to me because I'm very aware of, of how I'm setting up my children. Right, they're they're at such a young age that I'm I'm thinking towards their future and going, okay, well, where are they going? You know, how do I get them there? Um, and and for me, I, like today, I kind of wanted to talk a, bit, a little bit about mentorship culture. Um, I think of that as a society and as as people, we're kind of losing sight of the significance of mentorship and that men, mentor mentee relationship. Um, and that's really what we're talking about, right? Like, you know, we we call it fatherhood, but but that's really what it is, is, is pouring into somebody and investing in somebody. And, and, and I think society right now encourages us to be self-guided, to seek our own you know, truth, whatever, whatever we define that to be. Um, society also teaches us you know, that we need to believe that truth and that we can own it. And, and I think that, that's, that we're losing something in that, that belief system. Um, so I started, I started to look at, at scripture and kind of, you know, especially as a young dad, kind of go, okay, well, what, what can I pull from scripture? What can I learn? What kind of relationships are there in the Bible that we can, we can learn from? And, and there's, you know, there's, there's a few of them, um, especially in the old Testament that, that kind of stand out, you know, there's, there's Jethro to Moses, 
you know, who influenced Moses and then Moses and Joshua and Moses and Caleb, you know, both those young men went and surpassed, you know, what Moses has done, right? So that mentor-mentee relationship often, the mentee goes farther than the mentor, right? So there's, there's that extra value that comes in for all that pouring in, that, that taking that one person under their wing and, and really investing in them, right? And so then, the, then the, the last relationship that I kind of settled on was, was Elijah and Elisha. And, and so that, that story is found in, in, starts in 1 Kings 19, but it also, it kind of finishes in, in 2 Kings. Um, but there's, there's kind of three key, key points that I was able to kind of pull from, from looking through that story. And the first one is that the mentee must be willing to commit themselves to the assignment of the mentor before they are given their own assignment. And so like when, when we first meet Elisha, he's plowing a field. You know, he's, he's, he's being productive. He's got a family. He's got a life in front of him. Um, he's, sounds like he's still living with his mother and his father and, and kind of, you know, in, that, in that, that area. But when, when Elisha comes up to him and puts his cloak on him, Elisha gives up everything. He, he, he kills the cattle, you know, burns the, the, burns the, you know, the plow and everything else and, and basically says, I'm, I'm done with that life and I'm, I'm devoting myself fully to you as my mentor because um, I see that in you. I want to go where you're going. Um, but there's also some cool imagery too where when Elisha puts the, the cloak physically on Elijah, it's, to me, that symbolically says, you're taking on my burden too. Like, like this isn't just, I'm not doing this alone anymore. Right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna teach you some things, but you're gonna also help me carry this, and you're gonna help right. move things forward. And then that kind of that kind of flows into my second point, where the mentee must be willing to stay close to a mentor even when remaining is difficult. Sure. Right, and so if you kind of read that that passage of scripture, you see that Elijah and Elisha kind of get pulled into a lot of different political stuff that's going on at the time. Right, different kings um, pursuing them, or good relationships, bad relationships, you know, running for their lives, whatever that might be. Um, there's a lot of political turmoil at the time. And so it would not have been easy, it was not an easy path to stick with Elijah, right? Um, but Elisha relentlessly pursued his relationship with Elijah, Elijah, refusing to turn away. And I think that that shows an extraordinary strength of character because there are multiple times in scripture where, where you know, Elijah tells Elisha, go, go away. I think it's three times total, total, you know, like you should leave me now. Um, but, but, you know, he pursued and stay and stayed close. And then my third point was just that the mentee must wait patiently until the appointed time to pick up the mantle left behind by others. And so, you know, Bible scholars estimate that Elisha served Elijah for six years before he took on the mantle. That's, that's a, that's a pretty decent apprenticeship. You know, um, like I think in society, the only, only time that we really look at mentorship and apprenticeship like that is often in the, maybe more in trades or maybe more in those types of jobs where you really are paired up with somebody to kind of, you know, bring you forward. But I think, I think we've kind of lost that in other areas of society. And I think that, you know, fatherhood is one of those areas where we could really benefit from looking at fathers that have gone farther than us and say, I really like what you, you know, what, what character qualities you bring forward and how can I learn from you? Right, and kind of get under that. And, and then finally, you know, the time came when Elisha was ready and he took on the assignment and God blessed that. And, you know, it says in scripture that he got a double portion of what, what he was given, right? So, so all of his faithfulness 
propelled him farther than than the mentor did, right? And and the mentee goes on to do do greater and bigger things than than the mentor. So I think I just want to encourage fathers out there, and 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 you know if you're if you're listening today and you don't have necessarily have kids or you know you're you're not sure what you where you stand with that, you know there, I'm sure that you know like Pastor Ralph, like you were talking about, you know the roles that you know you didn't have the father figure the biological father figure in your life right but you had other father figures that stepped in and and you know we're all kind of talking about those those roles of fatherhood and i think that, that is incredibly you know it, it it's cool but it's something that we can we can step into for other people and kind of have those relationships and kind of bring people farther and and, and invest in it and and the beauty of the promise to me is that god blesses it and he makes he makes it you know fruitful for the for the amount of effort and the hard work that it is to mentor somebody. So. So there was something that you said there that was really key, and you said, I only see this kind of mentorship still happening in the trades. But if you look at the trades, that kind of mentorship happens because there's high liability on a journeyman that there isn't on an apprentice. So it's like we only mentor when the stakes are high, or that kind of responsibility comes after that mentorship process. And it just got me thinking, it's like, because mentorship used to be the fabric of society. Like if we look biblically, like it was all about discipleship and mentorship and bringing somebody up underneath you. But now we've left it to like, only when the stakes are high, am I going to invest that time with somebody, somebody else? I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, I've had the privilege of working alongside all of you with all of your families and church family. And I guess part of the fatherhood, if I were to share on it, that speaks to me is who's going to teach my kids what I can't. Because we always, as fathers, think like, oh, I'm going to be there for my birth, for his birthday. I'm going to, I'm going to teach him how to drive. I'm going to teach him how to like drive his first nail into a two by four. But like, what got me thinking about that? Well, what about the spaces where I can't be there? And as a father, I want to be really intentional about being on the alert or the lookout that as my kids are growing up, I'm like, who can I put them under that can teach them what I what I can't sure. simply teach them? Because I think about when I was younger, like with my dad. My dad taught me how to mow a lawn, but it honestly, wasn't until I was about 28, 29, and renting our own home where I needed somebody else to come in and show me how to fix a sink. Oh, a good point, yeah. yeah. Later in your life, right? So, like, my dad taught me how to make things, how to maintain things and make them look nice, but somebody else, it took somebody else coming in to help me understand, like, how do I fix this, fix this so it doesn't completely destroy my home with flooding or whatever it may be. And the story that, that, that drew me to this was, like, looking in Joshua in 3.6, while Joshua was leading the Israelites, like we're talking millions of people across a river. And I saw video footage of this river in like its highest, most rushing water moment. And it's, it looks pretty dangerous, right? And in the story of Joshua in 3.6, he tells the priest carrying the ark with God's presence to go in ahead of them before anyone else. And so you have this river, you have the priests that are carrying the presence of God, and the priests are going forward. And there was an importance on making sure the focus was on God leading. And in verse 13 says, as soon as the priest stepped into the water, the water stopped flowing. So my job as a father is not just to get my kids to stage one, stage two. Stage. My job as a father is to get them as close to God's presence under leadership who is helping stop the water flow so that they can cross over to the next stage of their life. So I'm not just ABCs. We got you reading. Awesome. I'm not just, here's a steering wheel. Here's a stick shift. Now go drive. Like it's, there's so much more to it. I feel like there's an importance that we miss out on when we say 18, you're off to college, good on you. Hope you find a community of people that'll support you. But the intentionality of a father being like, we need to get you close to somebody who emulates the presence of God and under leadership that can help guide you in your spiritual walk 
in the gaps where I can't be there, kind of thing. And as a father, I'm not only going to need to come to terms that I can't be the only influence in my kid's life, but I also need to be intentional about carrying my kids to where others are holding back the water so that they can cross to their next stage of life. Alexa is not my kid's guide. TikTok is not going to lead my kids into community. I've been setting intentional dates. Like Jen and I have been setting intentional dates with our kids and opening up the table for them to ask questions, but also for us to return questions be, how, how am I doing as a dad? which I've gotten some interesting answers. <laughs> what do you love about our family and our routines? What's something I can help you with in this season? And like technology is a tool, but it's not a replacement for teachers. It can't be. I mess up all the time as a dad, but one area that I can't afford to mess up in is the handoff of who they're going to go forward to when I can't be there. And people ask us all the time, why do you drag your kids to church? As pastors, we get that. It's like Sunday morning. You're the only one in the neighborhood getting up and going in the car at 7 a.m., it's like, this is who we are as a family. Yeah, that's right. We are intentional about our kids being in an environment where people are dependent upon the relationship with Jesus. Because if they're in that environment, you adapt to your environment. So if my kids grow up in a space where people are like, Jesus, I need you. It's like, that, that kind of just gets sewn into their fabric growing up. I may not always be there, but the relationship with Jesus can be. And as a dad, I think of no better mentor to come alongside than Jesus. This is, I think this is, you know, honestly, I think more discussions like this need to happen with fathers and not wait once a year to get together and like, right? right? Yeah. Anyways, this, this has been some really good, really good material. I hope it's encouraged you guys watching. And Pastor Mike, would you just be open to praying us out? Today? Yeah, I'd love to do that. Okay, let's take a moment and pray. Dear Jesus, we are so grateful for your love and care for us. Thank you how you modeled that for us how you loved us before we had our stuff together and uh, loved us before we acknowledged you, recognized you. Thank you for how you display your father's heart in all those things. That you heard his voice and you took what he poured into you and you, you poured that out for us. God, as we go from this place today, would we go in, uh, in community? Would we go with the sense of the responsibility and the opportunity to care for people, um, to bring people along with us, to mentor people, to care for people who don't have that father figure in their life? And, and it doesn't mean that they even need to be just kids, adults, and, and just... That's, that's why the church and the family exists. So God, would that just take root in our hearts today? And would there be a transformation across our churches, across our campuses, across our communities, um, as generations are impacted and influenced as a result of a conversation that might start today, uh, this week, this month? And it's one that you've sparked and allowed us to pursue. So we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.